You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince Lococo. It is a wonderful Monday night in DeVille, coming to you live from Liam's Lair. For those of you who don't know, that is my two-year-old. I'm doing the show tonight from his bedroom, crib over my shoulder, got a monkey decoration up in the corner, but we got some Louisville stuff over here. Shout out to Made by Jay Lane, who just so happens to be my brother, getting Liam's room right, and there's actually a barrel head over here as well. But uh, here we are on the other side of 4-0 from the Pink Seats Podcast, Jacob Lane, Vince LaCoco, Matt McGavick. We've got a lot to get into tonight. An exciting weekend, picking up a win uh, B, uh, over BC. And I know Matt left the stadium uh, really not sure how to feel emotion-wise, <laughs> knowing that's probably the last time that Jeff Halfley ever comes into Cardinal Stadium as the head coach of BC. Uh, but yeah, definitely a great weekend and uh, another big game coming up here on a Friday, which is always exciting. Gives me the rest of the weekend to kind of do whatever, especially if I drink a little bit too much. And you much can watch all the good night. college football games. The working folk having to get off at five and go straight to a football game. That's a long day. So it is nice when they are road games on a Friday night, especially. I'll throw that caveat in there. But yeah, we've got a, a ton of good things happening around. It just feels like a complete, uh, complete 180 of where we were last year, this time uh, coming off of the <laughs> struggle of a first couple of weeks. Here we are, Little Sits 4 now. And it's not been perfect by any means, but. They've taken uh, big strides as a football team, and there is a lot to celebrate as a team, a lot to celebrate individually. And we're going to do all of that tonight on the show as we get you prepared for, as I mentioned, a big game Friday night against NC State. One that's really going to kind of determine what this game is with Louisville and Notre Dame, not to look too far ahead. Obviously, you, you play a one-game schedule, as Jeff Brom said. One, one game, you focus all on that, uh, you do that, and that's what they're going to do this weekend. But it's hard to not look ahead to the 7.30 which I'm excited about a 7.30 Saturday night game. Marcus Freeman is not. No, Marcus, I, Mar- hey, I'm with man. Marcus Freeman. I, as a writer or media covering the game, we hate 7.30 tips. Give well, me that's not the only thing you and Marcus Freeman have in common, is hating 7.30 games. Hey, we're both bald. <laughs> <laughs> he's not bald, man. Is he not bald? What? Oh. No, he's not bald. No. Man. He's got a, he's nice got a gray line, face. Man. He's got, yeah, he's <laughs> high and tight, man. <laughs> I don't know who I was thinking of then. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Definitely not handsome. Don't have that in you're common for sure. Material. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, we are from the Pink Seeds Podcast. You can find us anywhere that you get your shows. We welcome you in and can't thank you enough for tuning in, supporting us this season. And of course, you uh, find us on the State of Louisville Podcast Network, home to a ton of great content and podcasts. So be sure to check all of that out. And we're brought to you by Manscaped, uh, manscaped.com. Use the code pink seats at checkoff for 20 to save 20% off. Of course, home here to Kern's Corner. Goodness gracious, I'm really struggling to get started tonight with using words. Home to Kern's Corner, the best burger in town. I promise you, check them out in the Highlands. Cash only, so make sure you take your cash, but a great spot to be in on Friday night. ATM inside, plans. That's right, ATM inside. Check them out Friday night. It'd be a good spot to watch the game. Fellas, let's just jump right into the big happenings of the weekend that aren't Louisville. There was a ton of great college football this weekend. You mentioned this a little bit, Vince, I think, uh, talking about this, but being in the middle of all the great games, right? There's weekends where you are the great game. That certainly was not Louisville at 3.30 on Saturday. A a fun game to be at, but when you're talking about having Clemson and Florida State, Oregon and Colorado, some of these other big-time matchups, it was a weekend filled with great football and also a lot of throw-up. Uh, which is the first point here. A lot of throw up. I don't know who even that game was. It, it looked like um, 
I, I, I'm honestly, I have no idea. An offensive lineman, though, it's a pretty common thing for an offensive lineman to just walk up and throw up. Like, what is that? Just like being tired or being like, what is that, man? Is that just? It's like the. Uh, it's the you can continue to go. It's Houston. It looks like it's the you can continue to go, but I mean the shit's just got to go. It's hey, got to come up. <laughs> got to go somewhere. Then, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's got to go somewhere. I mean, from the looks of it, he played a pretty good next snap too. You know what we call that? That's a puke and rally, baby. And I, yeah. that is something I think that uh, we all share in common with that offensive lineman. We're never walking out and throwing up as a, a, taking a snap at right tackle. Here's a better question for you. I've done that. Are in you pa- are you pass rushing him? No. You- I, see, okay, let's like, talk about courtesy here. Like, go I for a speed they, rush. Oh, there's <laughs> zero courtesy. Zero <laughs> gotta, courtesy. Fuck I mean, you got to throw up where you got to throw up. But like that, I'd be throwing. I'm throwing up, up too, in my man. hands. That I'm throwing so up in my gross. hands and making sure you get some on you. Like, like you have me so fucked. If I'm throwing up on the field, best believe we're both getting some. I, I remember uh, last season. I can't even remember if this was NFL or college, but this lineman was just waiting for like the ball to be set, and he throws up right at his feet, and then looks across the line of scrimmage to the defense, and it's like nodding his head, like yeah. <laughs> right after, he just throws up, like he's trying to intimidate the defense. Like, <laughs> like that. That's that's the most football thing I've ever seen. Quite honestly. <laughs> Pretty gross, but it's. I always find it incredible um, how machine like these these football players are, and the fact that they can just like if I throw up, like I think we've talked about this. When I'm sick, it's the world is over. It's nothing is happening around me. Like I'm on the couch and I can't move. If I throw up, like the world has ended. I'm gonna let everyone around me know. Like I can't work. I can't help with the kids because I threw up, and it's just no fun to throw up. This dude just walks up, pukes a full like. 24 ounce bottle of Gatorade right into pass pro. Like that's a congratulations to, to our beefy boy of the week right there, man. That's incredible. Um, how about, I don't know if you all saw this cause I know Matt that you were working and Vince, you know, the night continued on for you after the game, but there was an incident late on Saturday night that really caught the world's attention in college football. And it was not the Colorado uh, Oregon game, which did have its own little storylines here. There was an incident between Texas state and Nevada where there are reports that the Trident, Nevada's turnover Trident, and it, there was reports on Twitter that it was stolen by the students of Texas State mid-game and that it was used to be launched down onto the field at the players. And this, at first I thought this was pure, like, because I was kind of following this in real time. I just so happened to be awake late Saturday night. But following this in real time, thinking this is like satire. There's no way this is true. <laughs> but ultimately, if you keep digging into this, there are pictures of somebody holding this trident in the stands. And ultimately, it ended up back on the field. I think it was a miscommunication at the end of all of this of how it ended up there. Like it was on the ground and maybe somebody picked it up. Uh, and of course, if one picks up a trident, like you were like, bro, can I touch that? And then eventually it yeah, pause. Uh, but eventually it, gotta throw it. <laughs> Yeah, eventually it gets to somebody who's just like, fuck it, and throws it. Because <laughs> like, everybody is waiting for their moment to throw a trident. Like, we why all does, secretly are waiting for that. Why does Nevada have a turnover trident? I mean, they're the wolf pack. Well, I've never seen a wolf out in the forest just hold Poseidon's trident. <laughs> I like the anchor. If I did, it was a badass trip. <laughs> hysterical. Do you thought, see the but- anchor man, Jeff, below it says, Brick killed a guy. Yeah, yes. It, somebody said. <laughs> 
Somebody said that a fan went full Brick Tamlin, then threw the trident. Uh, Brick, you might want to lay low for a little while. I think you killed a guy. Uh, but it, just hysterical. Like, that's the kind of West Coast football stories that you get that, as I told you, I've told you all this year, like, I'm really invested in Saturday, on Saturday's college football, even to the point where I'm watching Washington in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock, just watching them ball out against uh, another Pac-12 opponent who, who uh, California, that just nobody cares. Nobody cares. That's the kind of stories that come out from that side of things. Speaking of stories from that side of things, we've got to talk about about Vince about your weekend. Um, and <laughs> what about it? <laughs> the pregame runs, and I use that term and laugh <laughs> <laughs> jokingly you know, because it's a fitting story. Josh Hurd, for those of you who don't know, has introduced a new tradition of sorts, which I like an AD who can run a mile. Like I don't think was Tom Jurich running a mile. You have him. You have him pegged no. as a guy who's just out running miles. No, like, I don't have a beer with no. Vince Tyree, though. No, of course go I, run I, four miles in the morning. <laughs> I can see Vince Tyree even running a mile. Like he looked like a guy who could still go out and you know maybe maybe sure. maybe a, a quick jog, you know, a light a light little uh, neighborhood stroll. Uh, but Vince went to go to Josh Hurd's run, which he's been doing this now for three weeks. He did it prior to the Murray State game. Did it up in like Indianapolis. It's a great idea, but what's not a good idea, if you listen to the show last week, is raw dog and coffee all week. That is a recipe <laughs> for your stomach to ultimately ultimately revolt against you, no matter how you break it down. Well, never a good idea. Night, was it the Ono Paul the night before? All right, so Vince, walk us through this. You wake up Saturday morning. You got to be there at what time? Uh, so it starts at 7.30. So okay. I'm up at like 6.15-ish, ready yep. to rock and roll. Get up, change, and, you know, get my Celsius at the gas station because I don't want to be too jacked up on caffeine, but I definitely want to be awake for this. And I'm going, I think I'm listening to, like, some David Goggins or something like that to get motivated to run because <laughs> I hate running on this two-time tour in ACL. <laughs> and that's am like, all right, cool, this will be cool. We'll get, some, we'll get some pictures in the pink seat shirts, and, you know, it'll look good. Well, we get to we get off the Crittenden Drive exit right by the clubhouse, and I'm like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> so we pull off at the speedway, and needless to say, you guys can fill in the rest. We didn't make it to the run. <laughs> well, thankfully, you did make it for the runs ultimately, which is a great a great yeah, thing for everyone. I, mean, I, I went everyone. and worked out if that helps, and I'm not going to show up late. That's a terrible look. Student no. athlete showing up late to the AD run? Are you kidding me? No. There's a number of reasons until next week. why you yeah, don't oh, yeah. show up after that. Yeah. Like, well, I can't show up this week. I work on Fridays, so I can't do the, you know. And Friday I think, you know what? Hold on. Well, let's talk about this, right? Because they did the game, the run in Indianapolis. Will Josh Hurd do the run in Raleigh? And if so, should our good friend Presley Meyer participate this week? Uh, he says he was going to participate. I do not believe him. He said he was going to go last. It's four week. miles. No, ask Ryan Chow. It's not just a mile run or anything. It's four miles. So I couldn't do it. No chance. I'm Josh I mean, Hurd. I'm, I love you, I'm, buddy. I'll but pass. I'm not out there for that. Yeah, I got other <laughs> things to do. Yeah, Matt can't. He's got to get there at the same time. To if get Josh ever needs a picture. lead blocker, I'm there all day. There you go, man. All well, day. that's that's the yeah, story. Of the the whole cleared. I'm the guy. Speaking of whole clear, you took care of that uh, before you went to the gym, man. We're proud of you for for <laughs> taking care of business uh, and not doing that on the run because um, I know better, dude. Come on now. I well, and, I will and the say, crazy thing is, is I didn't drink beer, I didn't drink margaritas, so you can get that out of your head. Everybody that thought that, and I even ate like I had a chicken breast, rice, and beans. I guarantee it. 
refried beans. It's the, it's the beans. It's the beans, man. Yeah, you know, Mr. Fucking Bean Dip Chili. I give you a lot of credit for uh, for going, and and I've been in a store in a similar situation where I think a lot of the times it's pre workout induced. I think everyone ha- who works out and takes pre workout has had the between the the consumption of the pre workout to the the workout. There is an, a sneak. We call them the sneaky duties. Like that's <laughs> it catches up to you, and you have to go because you cannot work out. Uh, holding a sneaky duty like you're that there's too much unclenching and clinching for that to take place to where you can have an accident unfortunately doing it nobody wants to be that person no uh, but i have i was I, in tights too so it would have been that would have been bad see here, oh, here's no. my thing i refuse to go poop anywhere that's not at my house it's just a very like that's just fundamentally who i am unless it's in a complete emergency not happening uh, so for you, first of all, to go in a gas station, like I could never unless it was emergency, but I've left workouts. I've left events. I've left places to be able to get home because I've had to go to the bathroom that bad. So I, I can totally relate. Man. I know. Yeah, I've, I've been there You're before. It's, it's not a fun place to be, but you know what? When nature calls, it's it's going to keep keep ringing until you pick up the phone. I think of it as more like an alpha male stance. Like I'll walk out of the bathroom and pound my chest like, yeah, this is mine now. <laughs> He says as he clenches his butthole with the force of a thousand suns. <laughs> oh man! Anything else from the football weekend? I know Lamar Jackson takes an L. Uh, very unfortunate. I want to thank the football gods for gracing me with Tyreek Hill and Tua Tagovailoa on my fantasy team. Amen. How many points you get? Oh God, Tua had forty something, and Tyreek was like in the high thirties. There you go, man. That's a winning recipe for you. And you get a Colts win. Good I'm for winning. you, man. I, I'm winning this week. I should win. There you go. Grace Hall is trying his damnedest to screw me. His damnedest. <laughs> he is trying so hard to screw me this year. I I mean, I, I hate the Jets right now. But Alvin Kamara is about to be back, so we're subbing him in. There you go, man. There you go. All right, well, let's talk about Louisville football. Again, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Pink Seeds Pod, at U of L Report, at the State of Lou. Uh, all kinds of good stuff there, especially during the weekend. Tons of great photography this weekend. I always love home games because we get uh, our photographer out there, Jared Anderson, and get some great shots uh, from the game. Uh, I've got one that's going to be when we do get this the, from the Pink Seed Studio that will be going up in the studio because it's a it's a pass rushing picture and it's just the vibes are a, a, it's just a beautiful aesthetic. Well, let's talk cool. about this game. Do what? Who is it? It's it's everybody. It's a shot oh. like straight down the line of scrimmage. Let's talk about the game, though. A great game to be at. A lot of fun. I, I'm sure everyone who went out there outside of the heat had a good time. 56 to 28. This is the kind of game we were waiting for. And while there were some bumps uh, defensively, that's to be expected uh, when you're up by as much as they were uh, throughout the game. And when you're dealing with a quarterback who is as dangerous as Thomas Castellanos, we'll get into that here, here momentarily, momentarily in Vince's game notes. But overall for, for Louisville, really just uh, pressing their foot on the gas pedal the full game. They dominate the whole way. Uh, and really just from the opening drive, you felt like, Okay, they're they're really establishing themselves, and then they score and score and score, and Jack Plummer's throwing bombs, and and the offense is really clicking, and and really ha- probably about halfway through, you're like, this is what they can be, really, if they are engaged at all times. I know Boston College, we talked about last week, not a great defense, uh, but overall, really, really, Louisville just does their thing. 582 yards total of total yards, man. That's just that's incredible from your offense. Uh, and they did give up 427 yards to BC, a lot of that in garbage time, uh, but still really, really solid game offensively. Um, let's dive into it. 
let's waste no more time because this is what the, the people want. We give the people what they want here. Matt, you look like you want to yeah. say something. Yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to say that I didn't see this coming at all. I, I thought that Louisville would win and win by double digits. I, I wasn't sure they were going to cover the 14-point spread because we had seen what Cassianos can do with his both with both his arm and his legs, and we did see some of that in the uh, in the game this past Saturday. And but my main concern was we hadn't really seen a Louisville team perform for all 60 minutes, or at least come remotely close to it, especially um, on offense where it seems like it has incredible peaks and then just skids to a halt at times. Well, uh, it is, did not skid to a halt once in this game. Well, it might have, but I mean, it was the third and fourth stringers. And in, in nope, they have point. one three and out. Jeff was ripping ass. It <laughs> was ripping straight. At, it was a straight effort <laughs> ass ripping too. You could tell. It was like, why are you guys? They were, we were up by a lot. And it was straight effort. Love the man. Hey, and you love to see it. But hey, if if he's going to rip ass over giving minimal effort after scoring seven touchdowns, I mean, I'm pretty sure Louisville fans <laughs> are going to take that. And and not like seven scoring drives, seven touchdowns. Like this, it's pretty hard to do no matter who you're facing. It's time to get down to brass tacks. It's Vince's game notes with Vincent Lacoco. All right, Vince, give us the game notes. What do you got, man? For me, we'll start it off with with Jawar. I mean, Jaws had an incredible game, 18 carries, 134 yards, two touchdowns, and the one receiving receiving touchdown for 75 yards. And uh, for me, the first big play that he had was really sprung by uh, wide receivers blocking uh, downfield. It was uh, Jaden Thompson made the block and it's, it wasn't really a downfield block. It was a really legal crack block, which you love to see, which means he's taking coaching. He had, he had his head across. It was one where in like 2010, you'd see the dude with his helmet and head rolling across the side of the field. But since, you know, they've changed the rules and everything. Now it's a very good clean block. Jawar makes the cut and just kind of lets speed do the rest. Uh, second touchdown was just a hard nose run right up the middle. That's something that like certain backs, uh, you know, Brandon Radcliffe was a back for us. That was a lot of speed, a lot of speed, a lot of speed, but he didn't really fall forward very often. Jawar's that awesome pairing of a back who has a lot of speed and a lot of power and will fall forward on the run. I mean, he, it wasn't that touchdown run. His second one was not the best blocking up front by the offensive line by any means. He got hit, and it just so happened that he, you know, drove his legs and fell forward for the touchdown. Now, on the screen pass that they had, that was beautiful blocking by the offensive line. We talked about it last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. We ran the screen pass, and it looked like the offensive line, like, was kind of lost. And, you know, if the offensive line's lost downfield like that, they're not athletic enough to make a turn or make a, you know, make a sudden change of direction movement like that. They're 300 pounds. So whenever they make that ID early and they can go get the guy, you know, quickly, it provides Jaws for more than enough time to just make a decision and go. And, you know, he's one of the fastest players on the field uh, for us. So it was it was great. One thing that I liked a lot in the play calling with Jeff. And we talked about the split flow running game last week. Uh, it came into play. And I know I'm kind of grouping this together with some jaws talk, but the t- the touchdown pass uh, to Nate, how do you pronounce his last Nate name? Kariski. 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 Yep. So it was a split flow play. And, you know, that 
is like Scott Satterfield's like playbook arrow play right there. You all saw it a shit ton the past three or four years. Mm-hmm. And it was basically I've been texting Jacob and Matt this a lot, like the split flow offense run game that they're running is a lot like what Satterfield ran. It's just ran out of the shotgun. So whenever we ran this, the end end man on the line of scrimmage froze his feet, expecting Nate to hit him. So he was kind of bracing for the hit like a soft ass. And whenever he braced for the hit, Nate just slipped it right past him, and it was an easy dump pass. And I, I want to say something about that drive real quick that I noticed, and I would imagine a lot of people did notice, or maybe not. But one of the things that I really admire was that whole drive. You talk about setting things up. That's a common phrase coaches use when talking about to get to a certain play, you have to set it up, right? They use Josh Lipson primarily. Nate Kariski did it a couple of times, but they would bring their tight end in motion right before the play would snap and use him as almost like a pulling blocker. Uh, so he's coming across and directly the ball is snapped before he hits the line of scrimmage and he's going and he's engaging that defensive end. They did that on that drive probably four or five times, maybe three or four times. That play was set up. What you're talking about, that defensive end froze, expecting that block to be a run and for Jaws to go up the middle. And instead, yeah. Chris, he just walks outside. Oh, it, yeah. it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It has to be set up by, you know, Jaws running the play full speed. Jaws can't sell that and make it look like, oh, damn, man, they ain't give me the ball right here. I can get three touchdowns on the on the ground. Three touchdowns, one receiving. I, I don't think he had the one receiving yet, but it shows how self, selfless he is and how selfless Jack is because Jack, we've seen in his athleticism, we saw it in this game where he did the double pump fake and ran and scrambled for the touchdown and laid out for it. Jack could have ran that in, but Jack being the good decision maker, he is knew that he can make that throw and just dumped it off to him. That's one of those plays that last year we're shitting our pants. Like, Oh my God, I hope Malik makes this throw. And that was a drive that took, I think five or six plays to set up. Cause I'm pretty sure jaws ran it five times in a row in the span of like 20, 25 yards. And then it was a great timing, great execution, great call, to have the uh, the play action to Jaws going up the middle and then to have that quick drawback and dump it right to the Kariski for the easy score. I mean, that was beautiful execution and beautiful play calling all the way around. M- moving on to Jack, like him as a whole, this is exactly what we thought of as Jack Plummer whenever he was coming in. You know, whether or not he needed a couple games to settle in, which is fine. We still won those three games. I mean, whatever it was, it seemed like this was the game where everything was clicking for him. It was early reads, making looking people off. That play, he threw a beautiful corner corner pass to Kevin Coleman where you see his eyes look right at the safety. Safety moves. As soon as the safety moves, he brings it back across the field to Kevin Coleman and hits him on the corner. It was, it was freaking pretty. Uh, the sack, whenever he got sacked, I don't know if you guys went back and rewatched that play. It was kind of funny because we won so big. It wouldn't wouldn't have been funny if it was like a big sack and it mattered a lot. But uh, the guard tripped and fell going for a pull. It was like classic. <laughs> like, oh, that's what happened. It oh was like God. classic. I was like, oh, man. I mean, but it, I mean, it is what it is. I had to throw that in there. But I love how Jack is spreading it around. It's not just like. I mean, you, you notice Thrash didn't get the ball until later on in the game. It's He wasn't sitting there saying, damn, I got to get Jamari the ball. Got to get Jamari the ball. Uh, he was finding the open guys. Uh, he was delivering it early. It seemed like his form, passing the ball, it, it just seemed a lot more comfortable. Everything did. And, I mean, it, it was a game where he even got sacked. So, it's like, okay, cool. Maybe he – we talked about it last week. Maybe he is one of those guys that needs to take a lick. Or needs to run a little bit. I mean, he, he's not afraid to use his legs either. 
which was not what I thought of. Knowing, hearing the announcers say that he played half the season with what? What I text you guys? A, a torn, torn, torn? PC, yeah, PCL or MCL, yeah. LCL. Yeah, I don't remember that ever yeah, being I, mentioned. I don't remember that at all. That that might explain a lot with the whole getting sacked thirty times at Cal thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, they mentioned him being a statue, and I don't know if that was between a conversation with Jack and the announcer at some point or what. But I mean, that's just crazy to me that he played all last year like that, and you know, we are getting you know the reward of him being able to use his legs and stuff. Okay, moving on to Amari Huggins, Bruce. Man, we he finally had that you know that breakout game. Three receptions, 110 yards, two touchdowns. His first touchdown, perfect route by him, was a switch route. So one guy was going first, another guy goes second. The outside guy, you saw him run a post, but a lot of times you see a post corner off that. Amari ran his more like a wheel. So it was kind of, it really went underneath of the outside receiver. And how he ran his route was great as well because he gave Jack enough room, you know, to throw it over top if he needed to. He didn't overrun his route, and and Jack just delivered it perfect, and Amari made a play on it, and uh, it was off to the races. But the play was really, you know, made by Isaac Garendo in the backfield and getting a block on one of the blitzers because that play would have been effed if Isaac would have missed that block. So uh, big shout-out to Isaac Garendo for making the block on a touchdown pass. Uh, one gripe I had with Jack throughout this game, I know I'm bouncing back to that, was uh, I wish he would have hit – guys like Chris Bell a little bit more in stride. And that was kind of – that seems to be something that we have, uh, I don't know, come griped about a little bit the past couple games is him just being a little bit late on some of the throws, even though, you know, he was great on most of them today. Mari's second touchdown was was a great round route. He uh, stuck it at the top of the route, comes underneath the safety. Jack just delivers it. It was a great ball. All of Mari's routes were ran downfield like we talked about last week. None of them were ran behind the line of scrimmage. It was stuff where it's one cut and getting north and south. You know, the wheel route was just one cut, get under it, and go. The post he ran was just stick it and go. It was great. Now, defensively, defensively for me, I would love to see the corners sink a little bit more on, like, their cover two stuff. It seems like they are, uh, I don't know, like giving too much of a window between the corner and the safety to where, they're, you know, the quarterback's just having the capability to hit that. Stuff seems a little bit too soft on the run game, too, for me. Uh, seems like guys aren't fitting right. I'm Every time – something's going wrong on defense. It looks like guys don't have their eyes in the right spot and, you know, guys aren't feeling right in the run game. Where's my note? While you find that note, I want you to hold on to that listening audience in your back pocket, that note right there from Vince. I want, that's going to be a key conversation point when we get into the NC state game, previewing Brennan Armstrong and how they run the football. I have noticed and I am not a football guy. Like my my football eyes train differently than your football eye. But I have noticed that when it comes to um, playing inside and then having to get back outside, they're really bad at that. They they their eyes are almost like 2019 Louisville football, like to where they're yeah. over aggressive. They the touchdown pass. To, uh, the touchdown pass. Uh, I don't know who he hit, but Ben Perry jumped up on it, and it looked like. You know, if Ben would have had his eyes at the in the right spot initially, Ben would have sank right back in the passing lane. And it probably would have been a pick. And there's another one where uh, 
34 got sealed off by the tackle and, you know, safety. He got sealed off by the tackle. Now he's, he's got the edge right here. He's setting the edge, but like he has no strength or no leverage. It's not like he could have got off and made a play on that. And the safety at the same time was way too far inside. And, you know, safety, it, it, you just can't make a play on it, especially a guy, a quarterback like that, who has that much speed. Uh, for me, defensively, I think everything there is so correctable that it's kind of funny because it's just eyes. It's eyes and being in the right spot. It, it, the defense, it, they they did great on uh, what was it, third and fourth down this past week. I, I love how you know they they will get after it if push comes to shove, and it showed in the IU game. It showed last week. If we get down to a fourth down type deal where it's come, becoming one yard one yard to either score a touchdown or get the first down. I'm liking our defense's odds to take that at this point. And I I felt like I haven't been able to say that in a couple years. So that's very refreshing and very cool to see. For me, it wasn't a complete game still because they did not play all four quarters. That's where I was talking earlier with Matt. Like, Jeff was bitching about effort. And, you know, the points at the end, all that BS at the end is guys not playing all the way through saying, oh, we got the game already won. Game's already won. Well, no, keep the foot on the gas pedal, but put up 70 points. Be like the Dolphins. Put up 70 <laughs> points. Say so you, I mean, you want us to stop running the running these plays? Stop us. You know, you want to, you want to score? Well, beat us. So that's kind of what I want to see out of the guys. Be a little bit more disciplined down the stretch, especially whenever you feel like you have the game won, because there can be instances where teams can come back and definitely that'll bite you in the ass. For me, it was a great game, though. I, I freaking loved it. And I'm glad you got some sack updates, too, Jacob. Yeah, I mean, it really was a great game overall. Uh, I would have liked to have seen them come out a little bit cleaner in the passing game, uh, which you kind of alluded to, and that's going to be something to really watch this weekend because NC State is a, a team that's not necessarily passed the ball extremely well this year by the numbers. They're not big volume game after game, but they have a very uh, experienced and, and capable quarterback who has shown for years that he can, he can slice and dice if given the opportunity. Um, I just – this defense is missing something. I can't put my finger on it just yet. Like it's a very much a bend, don't break defense. Like, and that's okay. We can be that after coming off of last the season where you are the hunter. TFLs. It, it is, but yeah, they're, they're just not are, there for some reason. And and, but the, guys aren't keeping the edge either. Like that, like the edge of the defense. You know what I mean? Like guys are getting around us constantly. Uh, quarterbacks will come up and not like underneath us. Like say we overshoot the tackle. Now they're coming up under like it's, there's too many instances where guys like Stephen Heron and the other ends are just losing contain. Heron should have had like three sacks in that game. He was getting so incredibly close to sacking Castellanos. And I get that Castellanos is incredibly shifty and is a, a very much a threat with his legs, but just the angle he was taking, he should have had at least a couple sacks against him. And he just came up empty a few times. And, and I've said this last week as well, this whole defensive line they're getting so incredibly close to getting home in the backfield, but they're not quite getting there. It's like I said, it's the same issue that the 2021 defense had. They're obviously getting pressure, but the pressure's not completely getting home yet. Yeah. All right. Let's transition into talking about uh, Vince alluded to it. The sack King update uh, who leads the charge here for Louisville when it uh, comes to getting up to the quarterback, of course, presented by our friends at Manscaped. 
Make sure you check out manscaped.com. They will get you right, folks. They will get you right. The ball deodorant, Vince alludes to it every week. We'll talk about it here in a little bit, but the lawnmower and the weed, the weed whacker, bro, like they're key instruments of life to looking well-trimmed and professional and well-kept. But when it comes to the Sat King update, we did have some movement this week. Finally, after a couple of weeks off, or I guess a week off here, um, we have a, a couple of firsts. We have a new entry into the race, which we love to see it at this point. Not only is he a new entry, but he's not a front uh, a front four member. He's not a defensive lineman. That's always fun when you get linebackers and safeties and corners coming into the mix here. We'll get into that in a second. We also have our first multi-sack game. Big deal here in the sacking update. It is. Well, it is. Well, we'll take any wins that we can that, get. That tells me that somebody listened to the show. They heard Jacob Lane's steak dinner. And they were like, okay, I'm going to go a little bit harder today. I joked about five sacks. They finished with three sacks in this game. Could have had five. Realistically, could have had five. And I have a real problem with the game of football, particularly with Louisville, because it's really the only place where I care about getting sacks. Uh, They're great for fantasy football, but they don't count a lot. So it's, you know, whatever. But I need the interceptions, the touchdowns, and fantasy football. But in college football, we got to talk about this drop back versus scramble decision and who is making it when it comes to sacks and how we're assigning TFLs versus sacks. <laughs> it just freaking mm-hmm. drives me nuts. And some people might say, hey, look, just pay attention. Look at the scoreboard. Did they put a sack graphic up or did they say tackle for loss? Probably could have figured it out in the moment by just listening. But instead, I'm celebrating sacks because that's what we do here on this show uh, when it comes to getting after the quarterback, let me make sure I I slide <laughs> that in there. But in the game, Ashton Gelati, shout out to Ashton. First time multi-sack member of the season. He gets his totals up to three now with two in this game. And honestly, could have had another one or two that, that were questionable uh, in terms of uh, either being a uh, meat on the bones. There you go. There you go. And then shout out to Jalen Alderman, Mr. Pick Six, now getting into the Sack King race. He wants all the titles around here. Gets his first sack of the season, tying Des Tell uh, with one sack. So we've got three gentlemen who have entered the race. A couple more quarterback hurries this weekend. And shout out, Matt, last week uh, helped me fill in the gap. Stat broadcast, I got my quarterback hurries and hits back up, baby. So we're back and running. And we've got a <laughs> decent number of those. And Jeff Brom very much correct talking about how close Stephen Heron is. I didn't realize how many quarterback hits and pressures he's had. It's kind of like Yaya, uh, Matt, a couple of years ago. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like that. And maybe we need to get him an NIL deal with like some some shoe protectors or some kind of something to help him not fall down or you know take too wide of an angle. But I, I just want to last thing here before we transition into kind of putting a bow on this game and what we learned, but. Um, I, I know we we joked about this last week and Pres- Presley predicted that, that this would happen. Uh, Mason Riger's return ultimately ended with just a tackle being a tackle for loss. He's the end fifer of the defense. But it's that instant energy that you get when you put a guy like him into the game. Uh, and I know he got the tackle for loss, but and we jo- we were just literally joking about this last week, but his move on that play against Christian Mahogany from Boston College, who will be first, second, third round draft pick in the end this year, next year, whenever he goes, was a legitimate pass rush move. Like if you go back and you watch that, it was beyond impressive. And I love that the role of Mason Ryger has changed a little bit this year. He's now a stand up defensive end at that edge spot. 
Like, I, I don't know, probably not really a big difference in the grand scheme of things on how you pass rush him because he's just going to get back there after all. But, like, they needed something else behind Heron because Popeye Williams hasn't really emerged. Cam Wilson has played well. Uh, but it's just not they've not they I'm telling you guys, they need something. This team the defense needs a spark. They need something. And, and Mason, provided it last he yeah. did. He did. He did yeah. for sure. Good having him back. Uh always great having somebody who's just a dog when it comes to getting into the backfield. Uh final things. Any final takeaways before we get into a lot uh, a break here and come back and talk about uh the big game on Friday night against NC State. I just really hope that they don't overlook NC State at all and look towards Notre Dame just because it's it was announced today that it's going to be a 7.30 night game on ABC. Just do not look past to that game. I mean, I don't have any fears or doubts that they're not going to do that, but I'm just saying, just don't pass NC State. Mm. No thoughts over here. Thought it was a good game. There you go. There you go. Sometimes with tape like this, I mean, what, we just what had is, a whole segment on my thoughts. What is BC? That's you really, do, you really don't know. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see where BC shakes out over the next couple of weeks because that <laughs> schedule, like I said, that's the drunkest college football schedule and results I've seen in a long time. <laughs> like you go up that big against Florida State after nearly losing to Holy Cross, beating Northern Illinois, or losing to Northern Illinois. No, I mean, just stupid. It's just God, college football. Is, it's the best. It really is. I mean, that shit like that is fun. Before we hit NC State, Jacob, Matt, I want to ask you guys, since mm-hmm. we didn't cover it at the start, do you believe that this Louisville team should be ranked in the top 25? No. I'm there with you guys. I mean, we haven't. No. I mean, I think they're like 27. They are, they're within, they're a top 30 team for sure. Top 25, probably not. And I, I know I've gotten into, Twitter fights with people on this subject, but I mean, look at who they've beaten. No one. I mean, Georgia Tech might be their best win. Seriously. Indiana, Indiana had to go to four overtimes to beat Akron. And then Boston College looks like, I mean, the FSU Boston College game looks like it was more indicative on FSU looking past them to Clemson than it was BC coming back when they were down 31-10. So, I mean, BC is not good. So, I mean, they, they... that's Go why on. I'm just – people still – I mean, people were asking me, like, well, how do you feel about the – how do you feel about it now? I'm like, I still am sitting here saying, I don't know. Because I feel like – I just really want to see – I don't know. I want to see how they how well they do this weekend against NC State. And then, obviously, Notre Dame's going to be the huge – the big shebang of a test. That's like your final exam right there. Taking a midterm right now against NC State. Yeah, but you can't overlook the test before the midterm, right? There's that that one test where you're like, damn, the midterm's next week. Why do we have that test? You know what I mean? I forgot about that one. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Before the test starts, you still got to sign your name. Uh, It's good to to win an ACC game of of that, uh, uh, you know, at that level, like to really put your foot down, control the game. Um, and, and build off of the first three weeks. Like, I really felt like this weekend you walk away, and you're sure the defense was what it was, and they let some big plays happen. But ultimately, the offense took care of business. And most weeks, that's what you expect is the offense, maybe not to score that many points, but 28, 35 points, 42 points. You beat us at that point type of mentality when it comes to an, an opposing team. I think the dope thing is our head coach has that idea. He's like, I'm going to put up 56, 40. So, like, I'm going to score 60 on you every week. Do beat me. 
Yeah, we need him now to be like more like Mike McDaniel. Listen to you know something like more modern. I know he said LL Cool J is his favorite rapper, but maybe we get him listening to you know uh, some freaking Rod Wave or some T Grizzly, or you know get him out <laughs> here listening to some Kodak instead of that, and put him in some Yeezys on the sideline. Now we're really talking about a coach with swag right there. Yeezys doesn't make you cool. Set had Yeezys too. I guess it's all about how you wear them. Uh, Overall, right? Sat just makes right, him look you like you lose. Man. Yes, Sat makes him look like goofy <laughs> shoes. Mike McDaniel looks like the coolest dude that you want to hang out with. Right, so let's take a quick break here. Uh, we'll come back on the other side and we will talk about uh, the big game with NC State, what it means for Louisville, what's at stake overall, why this game for me is it's obviously a big deal. But there's been a lot of talk about one side of the ball for NC State, uh, and I'm just not I'm just not buying into the hype. Uh, so we'll talk about that, what that means for Louisville. Uh, but before we do that, I want to tell you about my friends over at Manscaped, fellas. It is a time to get confident and get the regain the confidence in yourself. And Manscaped has done that not only for myself, for my, my friends here on the show, but they can do that for you. Uh, they've got tools that will take you from being a hairy man to a trimmed man. The lawnmower will make sure that you avoid the nicks, the cuts that you fear when trimming and taking care of business downstairs. We'll bring that pep, that zing back in your step uh, by being a nice, fresh kept man. And you combine that with the ball deodorant. And fellas, you're going to be right. I promise you. There's other tools like the weed whacker that will take care of those pesky nose hairs that I cannot seem to get rid of. I, I trim one and it grows back 10 times longer. The weed weaker, the weed weaker, the weed whacker is taking care of that for me and is taking care of that for thousands of men across the United States. They can do that for you. Take care of the, the ear hair, the nose hair, the pesky eyebrow hair. The places that are are very tricky to get to, Manscaped will take care of that. And, of course, they've got a ton of other great tools from the handyman that will get that face. If you've got to shave daily, you've got sensitive skin, that will take care of that for you. And, of course, guys, I went ahead and I ordered it, the foot deodorant. I cannot – I just can't get my feet to stop stop sweating. I don't know. Something wrong with me. But Manscaped is taking care of that as well, and they have brought the confidence back in my life. They will do the same for you. Check out manscaped.com. Get right, like all three of us here on the show. Use that that code Pink Seats and save twenty percent. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. You will want to gift it to everybody you know. It might be a little weird giving gifts like that to your friends, but uh, after it, weirdly after they use it reluctantly, they will thank you for that. You can uh, tell them to to check out Manscaped.com. We will be right back on the other side to talk about taking care of business downstairs at NC State, Raleigh, North Carolina. I hope you think of me every time you shave your balls. We'll be right back. Know the last time Louisville was five and zero. Kelly Dickey probably knows. Twenty thirteen. Okay, thank you. Matt McGavick knows. I should I shouldn't have doubted the Big J and you, Matt. Damn, I, I really went straight to Kelly Dickey there without. Uh, Thanks, Jay. Just call him a little Dickey. Yeah, and there you go. Well, that's that's <laughs> a long time ago. Twenty thirteen. That's that's young young Jacob Matt and Vince. Mm-hmm. Little little reckless kids running around. Vince is out there, you know, being a badass football player. I'm enjoying the freedom of college probably a little too much. I don't Matt's probably playing Call of Duty under you know, like a land party or something. I don't know what he was doing. Uh, 2013 wasn't that far ago. Jesus. <laughs> 10 years ago, man. That's a century ago, it feels like. It is. I mean, it is by 
fact, a decade ago. Uh, so it is, they have a term for how long ago it was. Uh, but hey, big weekend. That stadium in Raleigh, North Carolina, Carter Finley Stadium, not not a joke, man. Uh, I think on these very airwaves, Eric McLean and others of the ACC network have talked about how underrated of a place that is to play. Vince, hey, what was your what was your experience? I like the fact that it is surrounded by trees. It is a pretty stadium. Uh, whenever we drove up, <laughs> I know it sounds dumb, <laughs> but whenever we drove up, <laughs> you got to just picture this. Close your eyes for a second, listener. Unless you're driving, and listen, and think about this: you're pulling up. It's the right song hits in the headphones. You know, you get off the bus. It's fall. You smell the trees outside, just the pine trees, and, and you feel the breeze. You just open your eyes, and you're like, ah, "Football! Like this is this is what it's supposed to feel like." You know, it, it was it was a cool it was a cool vibe of a game for me. I, I don't know. I just like I like their stadium. Their fan base is wild. They're, they're they're pretty freaking crazy, so uh, it's cool. It's a cool environment. It it seems like it is a pretty raucous place to play, and and on a Friday night, I mean, like that's just it's a blackout. I mean, too, it's gonna so. yeah, it's a blackout. Yeah. Blackout and on prime time. Prime time. Uh, it's an ESPN, ESPN game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's gonna be a great game all the way around. Um, and NC State is is no joke of a, of a foe here for Louisville. I mean, look, they are not what they have been in years past when they've been a top twenty five team. They've had some big weapons, and obviously their star quarterback is now a quarterback that Louisville will see at the end of the season. And Devin Leary down the road in Lexington, uh, quarterbacking another 4-0 team down there. Um, and, and so now it's a different era of sorts for NC State. But when you're talking about a Dave Doran football team, you're going to get a team that's going to play aggressive defense, that's going to have you know the, the potential to beat you with some of the skill position players. Not as robust as years past. There's certainly not a Donovan Knight on this team. Um, they they've got other weapons uh, overall that they kind of uh, coach up, if you will. They get the most out of the least if 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 that kind of ring homes hits home here. But they've got a star quarterback who is playing in his 19th year of college football. They've got a star <laughs> linebacker playing in his 19th year of college football. So they are a team who can very much win. And and fellas, before we dive into the kind of meat and potatoes of this game, the ACC has never been more wide open. Um, and while there is still a team currently in the running for the playoff from the ACC, the the margin for error as a conference here is slipping away. There can no longer be any slip ups. It's really down to I mean, there are, you know, the unbeatens of Miami and I think Syracuse is still unbeaten and Duke is unbeaten mm-hmm. and you have Louisville and you've got uh, Florida State, obviously, but little by little. The, the national landscape of the ACC is going to be, or I guess the national kind of focus will, will be non-existent if it's not Florida State. So that's kind of the first challenge and hurdle you face. But for Louisville, I, I talked about this months ago, it's undefeated or bust if you want a chance at the playoffs. So each week, as Jeff Brom alluded to, it matters. It's significant. But the ACC is wide open. This is what it's been for the last couple of years. Clemson is not what they were. And so for both of these teams – the time is now. I know NC State obviously has the loss to Notre Dame, but that doesn't affect the conference you know, record and getting to Charlotte for the ACC championship. The time is now. This game is of the utmost importance for both of these teams. Louisville is coming off of playing its best football. NC State is coming off of sneaking out a, a win they had no business getting. And so that's why, for me, this one's a little tricky. It, it really is, but... 
fellas, let's just let's just dive into it. I mean, what are your all's thoughts overall? Brendan Armstrong, Robert and I, that's a storyline to really watch out for. What what are we kind of thinking heading into this one? I overall feel good, but not great. I mean, I heading into this season, I I thought NC State was easily going to be one of the top five teams in the ACC. They have plenty of all ACC caliber pieces on defense. Brandon Armstrong gets reunited with Robert and I, who was they were together at Virginia in 21 when he had that mammoth year passing the ball. I really thought that the Wolfpack were maybe going to try and jump into that upper three tiers of what I thought was Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina, and maybe try and crash the party and be one of those guys like, hey, we're like the cream of the crop in the ACC. And we really haven't seen that out of NC State so far. They open up the se- the season with only a 10-point win at UConn, which, I mean, yeah, it's on their own, but it's UConn. They, they should have killed them. Fighting and then they, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and then they they follow that up uh, just getting thumped by Notre Dame. Now, granted, Notre Dame looks like they could be a national title contender. I think they still are, even with that loss to Ohio State. But getting they, the Wolfpack don't get killed at Carter Finley like that very often. That, and that then, game, that game, and not to cut you off, but that game also had, I mentioned this earlier to you all, that game had some very unfortunate moments for NC State with. You know, whether it was a risk it for the biscuit type of moment, balls tipped, picked off, you know, bouncing off of stomachs into defenders' hands. Like that's, you know, essentially 14 points that Notre Dame scored that make the difference of that game. Uh, does that really tell the true story of how close that game was? It's stuff like that that you have to see the, the game to for, to understand the nuances. And, and it alludes to your point, though. Like what is what is NC State then? Yeah, and, and even then, like the game you mentioned a few minutes ago, they – they shouldn't have ex- escaped Charlottesville with that win. They they should have lost. I mean, a lot of that was just Virginia making boneheaded mistake after boneheaded mistake and putting themselves in a huge disadvantage and allowing NC State to just kind of sneak in the back door and get that game-winning field goal. I mean, they got lucky. There's no other way to spin it. And I say all that, but NC State at, at Carter-Finley on a Friday night, Blackout, ESPN, there's a lot of factors that go into making this a potentially super competitive game. And I think this is going to be the first true benchmark for what Louisville could possibly accomplish throughout the rest of the season. Because, I mean, the big one of the big talking points the entire offseason was like, oh, yeah, the way the schedule shakes out, it's not entirely like infeasible to have them start 4-0. Look where they are now, 4-0, 2-0 in ACC. Now the rubber's starting to hit the road, and now the schedule gets a little bit tougher. Now Louisville is at their first real true test, not to completely discredit the other teams they've faced so far, but the level of competition is now really starting to take an uptick. And now this is Louisville's chance to really prove to a national audience, not just people locally, like, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're made of. We're going to go into someone else's place in an underrated environment, one of the more underrated environments in the ACC, and take it to them. This is their opportunity to do that, but it's not going to come easy at all. So while on paper, just pitting the actual teams against each other, I would think you would probably more so skew to Louisville, but that home field advantage for NC State has to be taken into account. 
Vince, tell us a little bit about Jeff Brown talked this week about uh, today about um, piping in crowd noise in practice and really, you know, making the players have to play under that condition and, and kind of get their minds wrapped around how raucous of an environment that is. I was just looking up because I remember hearing stories of this in like geography in middle school and high school, but like they used to use like loud music as torture to where they would play it to make somebody either. You want to know some torture? Because it's true. Is uh, the week you play Florida State and you're signaling and the speaker's right behind you and all you hear is just, oh, right in your freaking (laughs) ear the whole time for about a two hour practice. Oh, you're, you're done with it come Saturday. I promise though. And crowd noise, pumping in crowd noise at practice may or may not do anything. I mean, for me, I didn't really notice the crowd noise in particular so much because, I mean, it's practice. At the end of the day, you're at practice. There's no crowd. It's, I don't know how realistic it is. Uh, I didn't personally feel it much. The one I did, like I just said, was at Florida, was whenever we did Florida State. We did, we, every time, every year, you play them on the road, you're, the entire time you're hearing their war chant and it is by come Saturday, whenever you're ready to play, you are just sick of it. That's the exactly the point I was trying to get to great illustration of what that looked like. Cause that's what I was going to say is like, what's it really do? Does it matter? Uh, but I, what I bet it does is it gets you prepared for when that's happening. You don't, you know, feel the like for me, that would make me just go crazy. Things like the anxiety and pressure of like everyone screaming, especially if you do something wrong, like if you get a penalty an interception just that noise quickly just takes over like i can only imagine what that moment's like uh but for a team that has this season you know they're what now 60th in the country in penalties that's come down significantly since the start of the season that's that's a real challenge and a real worry because you know a couple of false starts here and there uh, a couple of personal fouls whatever the case is then you're virginia and you're losing a game in the final moments that you have wrapped up so all of that really matters uh, for this team, especially one that to this point has not played a road game. I mean, of course, they've gone into Indianapolis and they've gone to Georgia Tech. So they've done the road trip. They've not done a road game. So you're talking about Friday night, a, a very uh, capable of opponent. And uh, it's a kind of wide open race for the ACC. And so we're really going to get a measure of what, what Louisville is. And so let's just talk about key storylines, some of the big matchups, because these will go hand-in-hand well, hand with before, each other. Before you get going with that, Jacob, like this is a game for me like on Friday nights where you kind of look at it as a player, and it's one of those ones where you circle. You're like, wow, like the Friday night, we're the game. Oh, and they're doing a blackout? This place is going to be packed. There's no more, you know, pandemic or anything. You're not going to get – like it's going to be a full-capacity stadium. It's going to be packed. You're really going to start to feel the crowd and everything. You know, if you're a ball player, this is stuff right here that you dream of as a kid. Like, this is this is it. You know, Friday night lights. You get to go back to your Friday night lights of high school. You joke about that and all everything in pregame warmups and stuff. But I mean, man, this is just one that you just you circle if you're a dude. Like, I think this is one where somebody like Jack Plummer probably has the game ready to roll on. You know on his calendar. Like this is one where he knows he can make a statement. They're going to need to do that. And hopefully he's ready to roll literally. I and mean, that's one of the, the, one of the keys that I have here from Louisville's point of, of view is can Jack continue to run the football? Can they continue to get confidence from him? This is a defense this season that people have really said is 
is good. It's aggressive. It's, you know, it may not be what it's been in years past for Dave Doran, uh, but it's still a top 50 defense that's capable of stopping the passing game uh, and the, the running game. But at the same time, they are 43rd uh, uh, in terms of rushing defense, uh, giving up 114 and a half yards per game against UConn. That's really the game that I go to. Uh, Virginia a little bit with the quarterback when you're talking about being exposed uh, as a run defense. And I think in this game, Jawar Jordan can establish himself and dominate. I also think that when you get a healthy mix of uh, Isaac Gariendo and Mo Turner, you're going to have the capability to run the football. And what comes out of running the football? The opportunity to pass the football. And that's what this offense does best. And so if you get Jaws going, they gave up two big home run plays to a UConn running back. If they can, if UConn running backs, no offense to them, I don't mean for them to take strays here tonight on the show. If they can do that, Jawar Jordan can do that. I fully believe that that's the case. We should expect one, if not more, big runs from him, uh, including one or, or if not more, big touchdown runs. Because that's what he does. That's what he does this season. He is in the top 10 in rushing nationally. He's got the big play this weekend. Obviously, the screen pass for 75 yards. You have the fake uh, kneel where he takes it and almost, you know, scores. Probably does score if he follows his blocker uh, on the outside instead of cutting back in. But overall, that's a big thing to watch for Louisville is can you establish that running game and can you feed that offense uh, into that? From the defensive side of things, this is where I tell you guys to kind of stick in your back pocket earlier. If you remember, Vince talked about some of the struggles to set the edge. Brennan Armstrong, while he is a very solid passer, He's a very underrated runner. Some would call him deceptively quick, sneaky fast, <laughs> uh, you know, athletic, you know, those kind of things. Jim rat team leader. You know, you might hear those phrases tossed out, but he is a guy who, uh, <laughs> whether it's a design run or a scramble can hurt you. If you are, whether you're, you have a guy spying on him or not. I watched several plays last week where Virginia had a spy, the spy either uh, bit too far in or took a too far of an outside kind of stance in the, in the defense in the zone. And then boom, Brennan Armstrong's gone for 15 and it's a first down on a third and 14. Like those are the kind of plays that will kill Louisville. Thomas Castellanos had a couple. Taven Jackson had a couple. DJ Williams at Murray state had one or two. Um, Haynes King had one or two even make sure you stop that. And then Brennan Armstrong is going to give you the opportunity to take some some passes away. He is a risk it, risky kind of thrower. There's going to be three, four, five deep shots in this game where he is looking for um, his weapons. And this is my favorite wide receiver name, Kevin Concepcion. You got to make sure you really hit that um at, <laughs> at the end. Concepcion. Uh, Concepcion. Like he, he is their number one receiver. He is going to pull a Malik Cunningham and Tyler Hudson or Malik Cunningham and Tutu Atwell in which – Brennan Armstrong is going to exclusively throw him the football. 22 receptions. The next closest is nine on the team, if that tells you anything. They will throw the ball to him whether you allow it or not. So for uh, Jarvis Brownlee and Quincy Riley, you have to stick to him. You cannot lose him. And they have had a couple of times this year where they've been beat and they've gotten a fortune of a ball being overthrown uh, or a ball being you know dropped, whatever the case is. They've got to play this game out or else they are going to get beat on a couple of big plays. And quite frankly, I expect that to happen one or two times this game. I just when you're a bend but don't break defense, that happens. You 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 bend. You bend a couple of times, right? Like you it's okay. You can bend, 
one one time, two times, but like be careful from turning into Johnny Wilson and allowing that to happen over and over again. Eventually, you've got to get a rein on that, and that will be that will be key uh, overall. The the second thing for the offense, and really the last thing, is I, I'm watching for Josh Lifson, Nate Kariski, Joey Gatewood, Jamari Johnson. One of them, mark my words, will catch a touchdown this weekend. Both Notre Dame and Virginia really, really attacked getting the ball to the tight end against NC State. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Maybe it is. Uh, it was a red zone, non-red zone type of thing. Uh, they got Notre Dame got a couple of really, really big plays out of tight ends from just a basic play action, having a tight end sneak out, uh, whether it's the wheel and taking it all the way upfield or even just on the goal line, that one or two yard pass that comes off of that so easily. I think they need to get their tight ends. Uh, they need to get them going. I watched really closely this weekend, and guys, it's it's scary how little separation the tight ends are getting in pass in pass plays. There's just no one who is a solid route runner who's going to scare you. Guys are covered just by not really being able to get open. I mean, it's just it is what it is. They they have to scheme them up at this point to get them open, and I think that that's what I would watch for this weekend. Jeff Brom for sure sees that on tape. I know for a fact. If I see it, Vince sees it, Matt sees it. Jeff Brom saw it four weeks ago, and I trust that they'll be able to to kind of take advantage of that. But that is something to watch because. We talked about it for months that the tight ends are the core focus of a Jeff Brom offense outside of that number one wide receiver. And maybe that changes when you have a dominant run game, but you need that tight end who can, you know, get you four, five, six yards, who can just run a basic curl route when they're in zone, when they're in zone coverage, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it can just split the middle of a defense and give you somebody there. If your top read is not open. Ideally you want a tight end where you look at, you know, a defense looks at it and they say, damn, I'm uncomfortable putting a safety on him. I am very uncomfortable putting a linebacker on him. You know, somewhere where he's going to beat you with size if he's a safety. He's going to beat you with speed if he's a linebacker. And, you know, right now it's just we're, we're struggling to find that guy. Hopefully Jamari can turn into that guy at some point in his career. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big transfer portal spot to watch this offseason for Louisville getting that big you know, home run tight end or that kind of star tight end will be interesting to watch, but we'll, we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Let's wrap up talking about NC state before we get into predictions with a segment that we've done this a couple of times. I want to make this a recurring segment, but Matt's a busy man and trying to get Matt to do much of anything uh, can be a challenge when, when he's got a schedule of writing as many articles as he writes a day. But tonight, Matt is going to bring you Matt stats. It is a segment that is all about the stats. And when your name rhymes with stats, we got to bring you the stats. And that's exactly what Matt's going to do here tonight. Matt, when we look at this game, there's a couple of key stats that really tell the story of what to watch for. Please give us your stats for this week, Matt. I really misunderstood this segment. I thought it was going to be a segment all about Matt. <laughs> Matt oh, boy, I would love that. Uh, like, I was born here. I was <laughs> yeah, here's icebreaker, Noah. Uh, it, it's funny you were just uh, mentioning uh, Casey Concepcion. Um, talking of like he might be like one of the more more um, electric players in all the AC college football, and don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not trying to throw shade at him because he he is a good player and he had a, a few really good plays against Virginia, but then you see his stat line and he's only got 238 receiving yards in four games. I mean that's it's a decent amount, but I mean he is North Carolina State's leading receiver. By a lot, 
The next guy behind him is Julian Gray, who in the same game span has 116 receiving yards. That's, like I said, not a lot. And back to Brennan Armstrong with his capabilities as a, as a runner. He is NC State's leading rusher. The quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, has 225 yards. Their next leading rusher is Michael Allen with 117 yards on the ground. They're not very good at the offensive skill positions, and especially a wide receiver. And this stat's going to highlight that. North Carolina State has a PFF receiving grade of 59.8. And for those who aren't well-versed in PFF, an average grade is 60. Average. Their receiving grade of 59.8 is 113th in all of FBS and the sixth worst in the Power Five. It seems that if these if these receivers are not getting open, they're not making a lot of catches. And the film suggests that and the stats suggest that because of, of the 22 targets so far this season that PFF deems are contested targets, they only have six catches. That's it. I mean, if, if you have a Jarvis Brownlee who is known on this defense as just being a nuisance and being a physical pest, you if I'm Jeff Brom, if I'm Steve Ellis, I go into that meeting room and I tell him, fuck shit up. Because <laughs> if because if if you get if you jam like hell at the line of scrimmage all night, it doesn't it whether against if it's against Concepcion or Gray or whomever, they're probably not going to be comfortable catching the ball because so far this season NC State hasn't shown that they're a capable receiving group in in uh, tight coverage. So there's that stat. And then going to the other side of the ball with their defense, and we've talked a lot so far about how NC State's defense hasn't been dominant, but it, it they're still pretty good. They still have some capable guys. And where they where they do shine some is in their front seven against the run. Their run defense grade, according to PFF, is 81.1, which is 35th in the SBS and 27th in, P, in the Power Five, which, you know, is pretty good. It's not like typical NC State where we've seen in the past where they'd have a top 10, 15, 20 run defense and front seven overall in all of college football. But, I mean, they're still pretty good. And especially since it's not just one guy who's doing all the like who's containing the entire run. It's not just Peyton Wilson going out there and being all over the place, which he already is going up and down NC state's um, defensive members Four regular players for NC states have a run defense grade of 75 or higher. Now remember 60 is average. 70 is above average, above average. So four regular guys in that, on that NC state defense are well above average when it comes to stopping the run. There are six NC State defenders who have a a run defense grade of 70, and there's 13 with a run defense grade of 65 or over. And this is regular players. These aren't players who just have like five snaps to their name and did amazing in five snaps. These are guys who are either starters or regular rotational pieces, and it's not just a couple guys doing really well. It's the entire defense who has stepped up to stop the run, so... Uh, Jacob, I know mentioned you mentioned earlier how you think Jawar is going to maybe run roughshod on this defense. I don't think that's the case. I'd, I'd like to see Plummer step up, and I, I didn't include this in my stats, but just looking at some of the, the coverage metrics, especially for their cornerbacks, they've got all ACC talent there at cornerback with guys like Aiden White and Shane Battle, but so over this year, they haven't been really that great in coverage at all. So I, I don't think Jack Plummer is going to have an 18 for 21, five touchdown 
performance against this defense. But I I would look for him to maybe build on his game against Boston College and have another somewhat efficient night. Uh, next stat just purely revolves around Ash and Gelati. Uh, shout out to Keith Wynn for first putting this out there on Twitter. He, Ash and Gelati, and we've mentioned a couple of times in the last couple of weeks how this defensive line is getting this close to getting home and just not close enough, but they're, they are making an attempt to get there. They're letting the quarterback know or the running back know or whomever the ball carrier is, letting them know like, hey, we're trying to get after you. And Ashton Gelati is the embodiment of that. He has, t- according to Pro Football Focus, he's got 25 total pressures and 21 total quarterback hurries. Both of those are tops in all of FBS, all 133 teams, all 100 plus players on all those teams. He's the leader in both of these categories, but he's only got two sacks to his name. So he's getting there. It's just a matter of time before he finally starts getting in the backfield with regularity and actually converting some of these pressures into sacks. It's going to come. It's a little bit of a slow go so far, but it's it's going to get better. I feel like it's going to get better. It, even against an NC State offensive line that is, is, is pretty good. And then finally, um, I have to give a shout out to Jack Plummer because of his performance last week. I'd be remiss if I didn't because, I mean, he had a pro football focus passing grade of 93.4. Remember, 60 is average. 70 is above average. Above 90 is elite. And not only did he have a 93.4 grade, it was the highest of all FBS quarterbacks in week four. He was the top quarterback per football focus in all of Division One. So have to get a shout out to him. He looked efficient. The film liked him. The stats like him. So, yeah, we'll we'll see if that carries into next week, uh, this upcoming week against NC State. I don't think he's going to be as efficient, but I'm looking for him to have another game where he makes good decisions. He spreads the ball around. Of course, get Jamari Thrash his fair share of targets because he's clearly the number one guy on this team. But continue to have a game where he had against Boston College where it's not just feed the ball like shove the ball down Jamari Thrash's throat, like we saw like a lot of Satterfield teams did with Malik Cunningham and Tutu and other like wide receiver ones in this offense. All right. That's Matt's stats. Love it. I just feel like I gained a bunch of knowledge. Now give me a real Matt stat. Something about you. Quickly. First thing that comes to mind. Something about you. What do you like to do? What what do you do? Something. Give me something. No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Real opportunity to brand yourself there, my friend. Really missing the opportunity. But no, that's great. And, and it kind of, again, mirrors what we've talked about with this team uh, in terms of they've, they've had NC State has shown glimpses of being kind of what you expect them to be, but also having lapses to where these games against a UConn, for example, is much closer than it should be. They really should have lost to Virginia. Like they are too unsportsmanlike conduct penalties back-to-back away from having an L to the worst team in the conference. So those present an opportunity for Louisville to come out and be aggressive, keep their foot on the gas, control the line of scrimmage, and really try uh, to to send a message to the rest of the conference and to anybody across the country who have questions about what they can be 
and so with that being the case, let's move into predictions. Each week we give you our score predictions plus a little uh, plus one of something else that happens in the game. So far, we're just we're getting the games right, which is a good start, right? We got to get that, that kind of energy <laughs> and build that momentum for later <laughs> in the year. Uh, but heading into last week, we were all just either tied or one off, uh, having predicted every single game correctly. Uh, this past week, we're all moving forward again. Uh, with that being the case, it's five to five to five to four. We've gotten most of us have gotten points for every game, and then a couple of us have gotten some points for uh, extracurriculars, if you will. So tonight for this game, we will predict the score as usual, who will win, and then the number of throwing touchdowns for Jack Plummer. I wish the props were out at this point. They are not. So it'll be interesting. Maybe we should go back each week and kind of use that as our standard of how we set this up. But uh, I'll jump in and I'll go first. I'm going – this game is going to be a close game. I do think that uh, Louisville is the better football team. Now, they haven't played the competition that North Carolina State has, a la Notre Dame. But Louisville has, in my opinion, shown more flashes of a higher ceiling and hasn't had the lows – that that uh, North Carolina State has, including that near loss this past week to Virginia. I think 34-27, a lot of scoring. I think it's going to be a game where both teams probably walk away with three, four, five hundred yards in total offense. It comes down to maybe a late pick for Louisville, a fumble recovery, a big sack. I think that uh, Louisville has the opportunity to limit Brennan Armstrong on the ground. They have done a decent job, really, if you look at the numbers and limiting last week with Castellanos and with Taven Jackson in Indiana on the ground. I think he's going to have a slower game, but I, I do think at the end of the day, man, he's going to hit one big through the air, probably score on the ground. Louisville probably ultimately has an interception somewhere in there, gives them another opportunity. But Louisville wins 34-27. They take care of business, and Jack Plummer throws three touchdowns. I'm going to go with uh, Louisville 31, NC State 24, kind of for what the same reason you said. I, I, I think this this NC State offense it has flat some flashes, but it's not nearly as explosive as Louisville. But I think the NC State defense keeps Louisville's offense in check just enough to where they don't have everything op- firing on all on all cylinders. But it, it it's it's going to be too much for that unit enough. And bonus tidbit. Guess what NC State's record is against the spread this so far this season? Oh and four. Oh and four. Mm. They did not cover against UConn. They Got did not right. cover against Notre Dame. They did not cover against Virginia. They did not even cover against VMI when they were 42 and a half point favorites. They barely scored enough to cover what the spread was they they put up 45 and pmi got seven so of course i mean that's still blow up but still they didn't cover and the spread it opened at a field goal i'm not sure what it is now but i'm going to assume it's either three three and a half money's probably on louisville but still keep that in mind now granted i say that and it's probably going to be one by like a point or two but (laughs) still Classic. <laughs> NC State has is a big old fat goose egg on covering the spread, so I think it's going to be won by at least a touchdown. Did you give your touchdown passes for Plummer? Oh yeah, my bad. Uh, no, I think Plummer's going to throw three. Throw three. I'm with Jacob on that one. Going sixty-five to nothing. Cards. No, that'd be terrible. That'd be ignorant of me. I'm going to go forty-one to thirty-five. Cards. And I think Plummer is going to throw three touchdown passes. Um, Armstrong makes me nervous with him being a 19th year college football <laughs> player, as Jacob likes to point out. 
Uh, guys like that tend to be experienced and tend to come out and play well in big time primetime games. Uh, you see it with Hartman all the time. You know, you expect a guy like Armstrong as well. Very mature, very poised, you know, with his old OC to, you know, come out hot and firing. This game does definitely make – I mean, it makes me nervous. It's a, it's one of those games, like I said, you you have it circled as a ball player, but it's you have it circled because it's going to be a hard game, you know, because you know it's going to be one of those games where, you know, you might have to duke it out a little bit. So I'm going 41-35, three touchdown passes from Plummer. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if they listen to the rest of my notes. <laughs> All right, and final prediction here comes from Presley Meyer. He's got uh, Louisville 34. So I think it's we all see very similar scores from a Louisville perspective. Uh, NC State 24. So uh, two t- touchdowns for Jack Plummer. So he sets – at least someone's going to get a point or not. I guess, I mean, he could theoretically throw one touchdown and we don't get any points. But it appears don't somebody that, will – Don't do that, Jack. That's right. And I will say our, our prediction last week was for who will get the first sack uh, and nobody was right. Unfortunately, we should have gone with Ashton. That felt like kind of easy money, like a slam. Yeah. Down. That's a layup, dude. We all got cute and tried to we go all got cute. Yeah, we were overthinking <laughs> it. It's <laughs> totally what we do with predictions. Somebody had Riger and you know, it was, that it was, was Presley, but I told him he was out. <laughs> he hasn't played all year and we don't really get an updated injury report week to week. So didn't, didn't have an expectation of that being the case, but, uh, Again, Briger gets that first tackle for loss and in the stadium. I'm like, that's a sack, man. It's behind the line of scrimmage. What are we doing? <laughs> that's why I texted you guys. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good sack with Gelati, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Ashton gets the gets the bucket there and leaves uh, leaves most of us, or at least I guess Presley, pointless. But uh, typical hey, we'll- scholarship guy screwing over the walk on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking love it, man. But we'll see. We'll see next week what uh, what happens. We got the opportunity here. Maybe we see somebody start to pull ahead here in this race uh, of who is the most right at all times. That's a crown I'm really excited to hopefully wear at the end of the season. I might you get a shirt so printed. You, you want it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all equally want to have – I mean, Matt likes to pretend that he gets to predictions and being right before me. And I also like to do the same to him. It's, it's part of being the, te- the male testosterone here in sports. We got to predict all, anything. We got to all be right all the time or else we're wrong. I don't predict anything. Right. I like sitting back and evaluating post game. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, that'll wrap the show up here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, supporting us. Be sure that you subscribe rate and review. If you have not done that from the pink seats podcast, you can find us anywhere, including YouTube, Follow us on Twitter at Pink Seats Pod. At U of L Report is where you can find the work of Matt McGavick. And at the State of Louisville is where you will find uh, content from stateoflouisville.com and the State of Louisville Podcast Network. All kinds of good content this week coming. We got several, several new shows on the network. So, of course, we keep the content churning. Got to pay the bills somehow around here. Vince and Matt are both, both very expensive, mostly Matt. Vince just wants like, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a Miller Lite and like a new pair of boots. And I feel like he would be content. Matt needs a steak yeah. dinner. Matt yeah. needs all the best equipment. Yeah. Matt Matt's always asking for more gear. Know your shooting. worth. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So all I'm worth is a Miller Lite and a pair of boots to you, Matt. It's good to know, bud. That's what Jacob said. <laughs> that's what you value. See, that's the difference. Is that you're easygoing. I it doesn't take a lot. Like you're like you're like Paul, man. You can be content in all things. You don't need a ton to be happy. Matt's always just a little bit more. Give me a little bit. Put me in J-Town. I'll be all right. 
That's right, man. Well, thank you guys so much again for tuning in. Let's go get a dub in Carter Finley. We will catch you guys next week as we get to get ready for Notre Dame and what will be an absolutely electric, probably the most incredible atmosphere we have seen at Cardinal Stadium in a long time. But there's a game to win before then. Until then, go Cards.